the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com VoiceAmerica.com welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now here's the host and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning, listeners. We've had kind of a shaky week here in Los Angeles. Today we are going to discuss what has become a very hot topic in the news, the use of BlackBerry's PDAs um, after work hours. And I want to welcome employment attorney Adam Trigger. Welcome, Adam. Thank you, Cindy. Nice to be here. I appreciate the invitation. You have a nice radio voice. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Never heard that before. (laughs) Um, It's a very hot topic indeed. And, Adam, I think you're going to like my position because... In general, I think that you pretty much represent employers rather than employees. On the most part, am I right about that? Generally, that's true. Okay, so um, you're going to like my position, and you know there won't be much of a debate with me because you know I've assessed that there's this trend in what I call the MySpace era. Okay, you know MySpace, Facebook, yes. where employees really went too far with their technical liberties, and um, I think. You know, there was a time where because new employees in the workforce were generally people who grew up technologically proficient, they didn't know any different from how the workplace used to be, so they created this whole new context of, you know, writing, texting messages with corporate information and writing thank you notes to, you know, human resource directors with a thank you and a smile emotum and thinking that was professional. And I think what happened was is there was sort of this, okay, the the new employees rule the workforce and how far are they going to go? And now the pendulum, fortunately, is swinging back to the right a little bit more to conservatism where (laughs) the employers say, hey, I'm paying you a salary, okay? You work for me and I'm making the rules here. In general, what would you say about that context? I think the context is is correct. Um, this, the generation coming up of employees is, uh, is very different in their work ethic and what they believe to be uh, professional than the generation that I'm from and, and the generation of our parents. And uh, it's um, it's a problem for some employers, although of course many employers are trying to adapt with the times and to um, to bring in these employees into their workforce in a way that is beneficial to everyone. But even so, there is a certain um, there's a certain conflict that arises between the ideas of employers and just the just the basic idea that people want to have work, uh, you know, company work done on company time versus the multitasking um, paradigm of most new generation employees. And I think that there, right now, any one of us that might be in the profession of working with an employer and an employee in a corporate context, we kind of have to kind of work to bridge the gap. I think whether we're lawyers or corporate communications professionals or executive coaches. Uh, I agree. Uh, bridging the gap is a very important thing. Unfortunately, in my line of work, um, where disputes happen is, uh, you know, the place where sometimes a bridge can't be built. And there's sometimes there's uh, a black and white in that, in that area of dispute where the law comes in and says, well, we're going to make a choice, and the choice is X or the choice is Y, um, not to be confused with Generation X and Generation Y. No, I got that. That's cute. All right, I'm going to ask you some questions, and we're going to have, 
you know, an interactive discussion about, you know, some of the questions pertaining to the BlackBerry, particularly from, you know, a legal standpoint, and let's hear what you have to say. Because, again, a lot of reporters out there are asking a lot of questions. So it's a very hot topic in the news. So um, should an employee be paid for business communications or for checking email near their BlackBerry after hours? Very important question. What is the – is there a black and white answer to that? Um, well, there is, but, but uh, first we have to put it into some uh, legal context. There are, there are two laws that we have to be concerned with. Um, one is state law and the other is federal law. Uh, I'm a California, I've been practicing law in California, so I, I don't know the law of every single state. For example, if you asked me what the law in Utah was, I couldn't, I couldn't answer that. But I do know what the federal law is, which applies in all states, and I know what the California law is, which is um, generally more restrictive and more employee-friendly than the laws in many other states in, in the country. So if your listeners are not in California, some of the things I'm going to say might not apply exactly. But They're, they're national. You're, you're on the air across the USA. No, that's so. great, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll speak with the federal law and also the California law context because that's what I know. Okay, um, fantastic. Also, there are two kinds of employees under both federal law and, and most state laws, and those employees are called exempt employees or non-exempt employees, and that begs the question, well, exempt or non-exempt from what? And that would be exempt or non-exempt from the overtime laws. And if an employee is exempt from the overtime laws, it means that an employer can work that employee 24-7 without ever paying them any premium pay, without ever changing their the amount of salary they get week to week. Right, and a non-exempt employee is generally, you know, uh, you know a management position or higher. An exempt employee is generally management. Oh, yes. right, an exempt employee is generally management, so what would they expect? I mean, of course. Right, well, so if you're a management-level employee, and, and that would be generally exempt type of employees, although there's other exemptions, for example, high-level administrative employees and also uh, professional employees such as lawyers, accountants, engineers, um, those sorts of people. But anyway, uh, those kind of people can, can check their BlackBerry and check their emails and be in touch 24-7, never getting any, any pay. And, in fact, they're expected to be, to be that, uh, in that kind of uh, touch with their employer. Um, and that's okay, and there's no law in the federal uh, or in state context that would force an employer to pay these people any more money because they're in touch. In fact, there's no law that would prevent an employer from terminating or firing or disciplining one of those employees for not staying in touch. It's a social contract. Your management, you know, you're in touch. All right. Well, so it's very clear for exempt employees. Yes. It's very clear. So now the non-exempt, it gets a little, it's, you know, by the clock, so it gets a little... It gets a little scary, I think, or a little unclear. It, well, it does. I mean, the, the, the general law is clear, but how it is applied is unclear. You know, the law says that if an employer allows a worker to do work, and the technical legal term is suffers the employee to work, if they allow the employee to work, they have to pay that employee for the time they are working. It doesn't matter that the employer didn't direct the employee to work. Like, if the employer says, you will check your BlackBerry every night, well, that's, that's black and white. But what if the employer doesn't say that, but the employee, out of their own free will and volition, thinking it makes them good employees, checks their email and responds at night? Um, if that happens, the questions abound. For example, um, did the employer know that the employee was doing this? Did the employer uh, create a culture where that was um, considered to be a requirement or at least a good thing to do to get advancement in the job? If these things are true and an employee takes advantage of of those um, of those thoughts, and does in fact use the BlackBerry at night, checking emails, communicating with people, then they're entitled to be paid for that work. They are entitled to be paid for that work, even if a social context was created where um, you know a boss or a supervisor will say, 
um, you know, won't have anything maybe in black and white, but they'll say to the employee, you know, if you check in with your BlackBerry and communicate, you know, you're more apt to be recognized in this company as an enthusiastic employee. Yep, especially then. Especially then are they entitled to be paid. But then the question is, okay, well, how much time did they take? And, um, and, and is it on a timesheet? And was there permission granted and, and those sorts of things? Because, you know, in my, in my life I'm dealing with court work, and in the courtroom the, plaint, the plaintiff employee says, hey, I worked this many hours at, at night after hours checking my emails. But generally speaking, they don't put that time on a timesheet. So how is an employer supposed to even pay them uh, on a regular payroll basis if they don't put that time on a timesheet? Um, and if that's the case, uh, it's a pretty tough burden on the employee plaintiff to show the court that they put in the time they're entitled to be paid for that. On the other hand, if they do put the time on the timesheet um, and, and the employee is paid, say, regular time instead of time and a half, it's a very easy case for an employee to win to say they're entitled to get a premium for the amount they spent overtime during that day. Got it, got it. So, I mean, I think people, particularly in California, have to be, you know, kind of communicate with each other clearly in terms of, you know, BlackBerry use because I don't think things are very clear. I mean, the last time I looked at um, a contract at least for non-exempt employees... You tell me, Adam. I mean, is this clear? Are there policies now? Is it written down in an absolutely in, letter? In, in my in my in my practice, I help employers develop their policies and their written policies, certainly uh, regarding this kinds of use. And all of them are interested. That is, my clients, my employer clients, are all interested in laying down clearly what they want their employees to do. And every employer is different. Some of them want to have their employees in touch and checking emails, and are perfectly willing to pay them for that. And when that's true, we, we try to create policies that um, put that out in black and white so that everyone knows what they're supposed to do. On the other hand, some employers are, are very reticent to, to, put, you know, to, get, to pay overtime to employees when they don't have to. It, they feel that that's a, a very big drain on their bottom line, and therefore they say that there will be no uh, BlackBerry use outside of work hours without prior written permission from a supervisor in each instance. I think that's a smart thing to do these days. Oh, I agree, it is, but and, and then it's not even enough to do it in a, in a policy handbook. You really ought to train your supervisors to train your employees that that is the law of the company. Well, it's, um, you know, I haven't been in the corporate culture for about six or seven years, and things have changed so much. Um, you know, so I think that it's very, very interesting, and I think it has to be addressed because that's why there's a lot of unclarity. That's why people are asking a lot of questions. I think while you're ahead of the game, because you're, you know, you have to, you know, you represent the law. You have to guide your employers well. You know, a lot of people have not caught up to it yet. Thank you. There's another interesting caveat under this topic, and, and that's the question. You turn it on its head. What if an employee uses the BlackBerry for personal use when they're on company time? And what if um, they do? You know, should there be a docking of pay, for example? Should Do they owe the employer money back? Um, and, and that's a much tougher question in the law than... I mean, in practice, in the practice of the law, then it is uh, the other side. But I would imagine, but there's a context set for it, and I, you know, I would think in the way that laws are created, that the precedent might be. And tell me if I'm wrong. If an employee is using, a, you know, a phone to make a personal call during work hours, as long as it's not abused, I think it's reasonable. Uh, indeed, and, and uh, the courts have determined that use, use of email, Blackberry, telephones, and even writing letters are all the same in the eyes of the law 
that they're all communications, and the question is, is it for personal use, personal time or, or company time, or, you know, personal business or company business is what I mean. And uh, anyway, the answer for a non-exempt employee is that if you do use your BlackBerry um, for personal use during company time, the company can deal with you in accordance with their, again, their written policies. And, and again, employers are all different. Some of them want to encourage flexibility, tell their employees that it's okay to have limited personal use of the company communications devices so that, you know, you can live your life in a comfortable way as long as it's not abused, just like you said, Cindy. Uh, on the other hand, some are very stringent. No, if I'm paying you, you're doing my work, not yours. If we catch you, we will discipline you, and we'll and we will dock your pay. That also would be legal, uh, as long as they can prove how much time they actually spent doing their uh, personal business. Very interesting. Well, listen, Adam, we have to take a commercial break. I told you this goes very fast, but you have to stand by so that you can come back and talk more about BlackBerry use. Okay. My pleasure. Okay, let's go to a commercial break. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, yachts, parties. Festivals. At Rack and Roll Productions, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, book releases, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio. Rack and Roll Productions gets the job done whether it's an intimate party or a production with 2,000 people. In fact, you've probably seen and heard our work on the E! Channel, MTV, The Howard Stern Show, or in the pages of numerous newspapers and magazines. Now it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of Rack and Roll Productions. Visit us online at www.rackandrollentertainment, that's R-A-K-N-R-O-L-L, entertainment.com, or call 1-818-597-0700. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio. Rack and Roll Productions, we do it all. www.rakn-rollentertainment.com. There's a purpose revolution sweeping the world. Now more than ever before, in the midst of so many things they could do, people are asking what they should do. Since 1991, John Stanko has been helping people all over the world answer these questions. Now John is bringing his purpose message and philosophy to Voice America, where you will hear from people of purpose like John, who have found what they were created to do. Join John and his guests from around the world every week on his show, Your Purpose Quest, 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern right here on Voice America. Looking for a good time? We've got a show that will give you a wild ride. This show will make you feel good. And it's not even bad for you. You need your time to let loose. It's time for a feel-good party. Pull up to the computer, mix yourself a drink, and turn up the speakers. Happy Hour is here. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's called the biggest radio show in the world. Hosted by international personality and pundit Michael DeMarco. You don't know what's coming next. The biggest radio show in the world on Voice America. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 
472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Cindy Rakowitz. Back with Adam Schreiger, and we're discussing um, the interesting topic of BlackBerry use on during work hours, after work hours. And Adam, why don't you give us the name of your law firm? I don't dare, dare try to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's lots of uh, names. My law firm is called Stowell, Zylinga, Ruth, Vaughn, and Triger. We're in Westlake Village, California. And you have a website? Yes, it's www.szrlaw.com. I see. For the le- They've abbreviated it for the website, so Indeed. it's a little easier to remember, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so we're continuing to talk about it, and you brought up the subject that's very, very interesting, and um, that's you know personal use. We discussed the fact that you know, listen, within reason, I'm sure, as long as an employee doesn't abuse the personal use um, situation, on the most part, unless there's strict policy against it, you know, it's it's acceptable. I think that the problem is is when people abuse it. I, that's true, and it, it's certainly the trend in, in my, with my clients is to allow reasonable per- personal use of Blackberries as well as uh, cell phone, company cell phones, company phones, and company computers. I mean, you know, if there's an emergency, there's an emergency. I mean, what are you going to do? It's communication. But what happened? What what happened in the workforce also, which you know has to be considered, is and it's similar to BlackBerry communications. Um, is the use of social networking sites during work time. And I know I'm going off topic a little bit, but it's related. And, you know, in some fields, you know, in some professions, I think that, you know, MySpace, Facebook, LinkedIn particularly, you know, I think that if it's used for networking use and you're in the kind of job where you have to sell or network your company, you know, I think an argument also can be made that that's okay as long as you're, doing something to represent the company during that time within the context of your job description. Um, again, you know, when you're sending, you know, um, you know, messages to, you know, lovers, boyfriends, girlfriends, um, you know, and family, you know, that goes beyond the lines of what's acceptable. I think that's absolutely true. Most policies that the cor- uh, corporations and employers have do try to say what is an uh, acceptable use of Internet and sites such as, MySpace and LinkedIn and what is unacceptable. And uh, although you can never hit every possible permutation of what might happen, um, you know, employers are generally uh, supportive of people going out and, and um, putting the name of the company out there in a good light. I think that's probably true. But again, I think the lesson is for anybody, the layman that just wants to take advice, is just use common sense a little bit. Uh, yes, but another thing that I, I was thinking that, that people would be interested in knowing is what if you do use uh, the BlackBerry for personal use or you go on the Internet for personal reasons, you know, is what you're doing private or does the employer have, uh, ev- you know, every right to monitor what you're doing and then fire you for it if they don't like it? Well, I think that in most agreements today that, you know, it's clear when, you know, that it's, it's clearly written out that an employer today does have the right to monitor emails and then the employee signs it. Is that true for both exempt and non-exempt employees? Uh, Yes, it is true for both exempt and non-exempt employees, but there was a very interesting uh, Ninth Circuit case. The Ninth Circuit is a a federal court of appeal that came down just last month in June of 2008, which um, really put a a different spin on it than what you just said. And What you just said was what everyone considered to be the law for a long time. That is, as long as an employer warns and tells the employee that, you know, their emails will be monitored, their BlackBerry use will be monitored, their Internet use will be monitored, then they have no 
reasonable expectation of privacy, which is the legal buzzword that you have to have in order to be protected. But in this uh, new case, uh, which is which is called, um, let me see, where is this? Uh, it is called um, uh, I.S. Quan versus Arc Wireless Operating Company. In that case, the Ninth Circuit came down and said that if you have a supervisor, even a low-level supervisor, who who takes who speaks any words or takes any actions that are different than the company policy when it comes to whether or not your usage will be monitored, then that that action or statement by that low-level supervisor can totally uh, change the written policy of the company and allow employees that reasonable expectation of privacy that the company attempted to get rid of through its written policies. Okay, I... Go to the part. What does it, so the supervisor can really change the way that a contract is written? Uh, that's right. I mean, if, if the even if the employer has a policy, let's take this particular case. In this particular case, the employer had a had a policy that said that access to all sites on the internet is recorded and will be periodi- periodically reviewed. That access to the internet and email system is not confidential, and information produced in either hard copy or electronic form is considered company property. And finally, that the use of inappropriate derogatory or obscene language will not be tolerated on the email or Internet. And then the employee had to sign that document, that they read it, understood it, and will abide by it. Well, now fast forward about six years later, mm-hmm. where the employee's supervisor said um, that if the and, – and by the way, that in that company, they provided company-owned Blackberries to the individual employees. Mm-hmm. The supervisor told the, the, the people who had these company-owned Blackberries Look, if you don't use your BlackBerry over the number of hours that the employer is paying for in the plan, that is, there's no you know, time overages, then we're not going to audit your BlackBerry use. But if you go over the time, then we're going to audit your, your BlackBerry use, and you'll have to pay for any time over what the company has allotted you to use. And that statement of the low-level supervisor changed the, the contract of the company. And the court held that the employee then had a reasonable expectation of privacy in that they would not be, their, their BlackBerry use would not be audited. That is looked into by the company if they kept within the time parameters the company had ascribed. Wow. Well, it's interesting. Gee, uh, I'm sure the low-level supervisor didn't understand that it would become such a precedent. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. And so the, 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 uh, the news for the company is train your supervisors very well in the, uh, in the company policy and don't let them take uh, actions that are different. Although, if you have a big company with lots of low-level supervisors, it's kind of hard to enforce. Well, I, I think that there has to be training. I mean, you know, listen, we've discussed in different contexts that education in a company, ongoing education in any topic for, you know, new management or, you know, mid-management or, you know, low-level management, you know, is never, um, you know, you, you can't lose. I mean, you know, if there's topics that are somewhat um, controversial or, you know, topics that change know, in the workplace on a day-to-day basis or the law, I think that a company really has to be careful in, you know, educating and training, constantly training the people who supervise people. Exactly. Um, You know, you can't go wrong. You can't be, you know, you can't be overly cautious these days because everything's changing all the time, particularly with communication, as speedy as it is. I mean, you know, it's a a minute moment. (laughs) Um, so let's talk about, you know, obviously if a company, um, you know, if there's a company-owned BlackBerry that's given out to employees, 
Um, is it very often that an employee um, might expect to keep that BlackBerry? Yeah, that, that's. I found it to be quite interesting because I, I find that people um, develop a sense of property to what they use, what they're given at work. And although it is kind of clear that if the company bought and paid for the BlackBerry, it belongs to the company, it's, a, it's amazing to me how often when an employee either resigns or is terminated involuntarily from the company, they do not return their BlackBerry devices. And the company calls me and says, well, what are we supposed to do about this, you know? And it's not a big-ticket money item, so it's not like it's worth it to hire a lawyer to go after the employee to get the, get the, the BlackBerry back. And oftentimes, uh, nothing can be done in, in practice besides write a, write a nasty letter and hope that the employee does the right thing. But oftentimes, they keep it, and there's not really, not really much the employer can do about it. But let's face it. I mean, the BlackBerry itself isn't really a high-ticket item. It's the information that's in the BlackBerry that's really high-ticket. So the company has the ability to cut the employee off from, you know, inter, you know, intercompany communication. That's really the most critical part for the employer, isn't it? Certainly, and, and um, they, they certainly can cut them off immediately upon termination of employment. Another issue might be if they've stored uh, sensitive uh, trade secret information on the BlackBerry and have not returned that or, or deleted that, and there are laws in every single state um, called uh, to protect trade secrets of companies, and so employees really should be careful if they keep any um, information on their BlackBerry that's not returned or deleted, or even if they just keep it on their home computers, or even if they have it in old-fashioned hard copy paper, not to use those trade secrets when they go to a new employer or in their new life because there can be a lot of liability for the employee if they do that. And it could catch up with them later. I mean, you know, an employer can find out that an employee used, you know, confidential information or trade secret information, you know, three years later, and the employee could still get busted. Yes, that's exactly right. And, um, you, know, with, you know, with good reason. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's really important in this day and age um, for contracts to be very, very clear um, in articulating electronic use today. I mean, because information is 24-7, and I think those parts of employee contracts, employer-employee agreements, have to be very, very clear. And I, I think it's very important in the context of this show just to um, advocate or you know, educate employers because, you know, there's some employers that are new to the game and how important setting the context for these policies are. Yes, I often tell my clients, you have to have a policy and you have to stick to it. Those are two different uh, sides of the same coin, of course. Paying a lawyer or an H or a human resources you know, consultant to draft up policies for you is not enough. You have to police them constantly, make sure they're updated, keep them legal, and live by them every day. Oh, it's really, really true. Do, can you believe that our time is almost up? <laughs> Amazing. Did I tell you it goes really, really fast? You did. You want to come back again, right? Anytime. All right. Well, why don't you give us the name of your law firm again? Again, it is Stowell, Zylinga, Ruth, Vaughn, and Triger. And uh, I am Adam Triger, and our website is www.szrlaw.com. All right. We have another second, but I just wanted to let you know that we were wrapping up. Um, is there anything else that you want to say to people out there in our last minute in terms of reinforcing the importance of contractual communication? Um, well, first I'll say uh, don't use your BlackBerry while driving. <laughs> that's a, that's <laughs> very, a very important, but a lot in, of people uh, do. Days with workers' compensation and everything, it's bad for the employer, bad for the employee. And as for uh, contracts and policies, um, so it, you know, every employer that I know has, uh, has a very sophisticated insurance regime where they go and buy lots of insurance policies to try to cover them from liability. And sometimes they neglect, however, just the most basic employment 
documents such as employee contracts and employee handbooks, which are really an insurance policy against future liability. So every employer should consider having a really good set of policies drafted and, and really uh, concrete contracts drafted. Uh, and, you know, pay the premium and um, to, to the lawyer, if you will, and uh, that will protect you a long way when it comes to a court battle. And call Adam Trager. <laughs> okay, if you really need to get this done. Thank you, Adam. You've been very informative, and we'll have you on the show again real soon. Thanks, Cindy. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, yachts, parties. At Rack and Roll Productions, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, book releases, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio. Rack and Roll Productions gets the job done whether it's an intimate party or a production with 2,000 people. In fact, you've probably seen and heard our work on the E! Channel, MTV, The Howard Stern Show, or in the pages of numerous newspapers and magazines. Now it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of Rack and Roll Productions. Visit us online at www.rackandrollentertainment. That's R A K N R O L L Entertainment.com. Or call 1 818 597 0700. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio. Rack and Roll Productions, we do it all. www.rakandrollentertainment.com. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's Every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788, and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Now back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. We're back and we're continuing to talk about um, text communications and communications and how it's changed. And now we have Eric Taub. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Good morning. Eric, you sound so enthusiastic. <laughs> Eric runs a company, corporate communications company, presentations, writing, 
Um, anything that has to do with communicating articulately, it's called Jet Media. And right. Eric also writes for the New York Times. So I think that Eric has a lot to say about communication, written communication, in this era. <laughs> well, I hope so. I hope so, too. And Eric, I have to say, incidentally, um, grew up in the same neighborhood that I did. So we have that in common. We That's both right. moved to L.A., although you moved to Los Angeles longer ago. That's right, quite some time ago. Yeah, over 30 years now. I know, it's a long time, but we're still both from Queens. So. That's right, we are. And we know about communication. We know about street communication, and we know about professional communication. We so, do, indeed, and I think we both have been the recipients of uh, bad communication. I think that's true, and because we do what we do, we're probably a little bit more critical than most. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's true, but, you know, I think, on the other hand, you need to have certain standards, you know. It may sound like the, the kinds of words that we used to hear from our parents, oh, things are not the way they used to be. But on the other hand, we, we have to have a standard of communication, of good communication and good writing. And I do think that uh, it is really becoming uh, coarsened and uh, standards are being lowered uh, as the society becomes even more informal. No, I think that's true. And I, I feel like my parents often, because I feel like the curmudgeon that's always like, Oh, my God, I can't believe this is so sophomoric. Things have to become a little bit more professional around you. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's in the context of, you know, really, you know, taking communication to a point where, um, you know, a job applicant is thanking the person who interviewed them um, with a text message with a smiley face and, come on, that's right. And, you know, I guess one could say that, that that's really a generational difference. But even if that is true, at the moment, we're still in uh, straddling two different generations. One that is doing the hiring that did not grow up with Blackberries and only perhaps uh, reluctantly adopt, adopted them. And the other that has and that's grown up with computers. And I see, you know, my kids and grandkids say to me, oh, you don't even know how to use a computer, even though I've been using one since... 1984 and writing about them since about that time. Yeah, excuse me. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right, exactly. But uh, it's true that as people tend, uh, and especially younger people tend to communicate basically with uh, Blackberries or iPhones or other uh, devices that allow them to instant message and they don't write full sentences and everyone abbreviates, that people assume that they can carry that style into the workplace. And you really can't. You can't because still the vast majority of people don't communicate that way. And when you do, it makes you look, as you said, immature, less formal, and that you're not really ready for the rigors of the workplace. Oh, it's really true. And, I, you know, I don't know if you heard the segments before, but Adam Trigger, um was a guest, and he talked about it from a legal standpoint. And, you know, there's the assumption in this liberal communication realm that, you know, you could take this communication into the workplace as well and, you know, maybe sit and do social networking all day. They, they all, some almost feel like an entitlement that this is my generation and, you know what, if I want to communicate on MySpace during work hours, I could do so. Now, of course, if you're doing it, you know, because it's work-related, I think that's okay, but that's often not the case that's with the 20-somethings that come into the workplace. That's right. That, that is often not the case. And, of course, you see... Uh, you know, with some of my clients, and I've been in their offices, that people, as you walk down the corridor, are half the time are spent uh, just surfing the web uh, for fun. 
Um, well, there has to be, you know, where you and I grew up, I know that we were told that, you know, you go to college, you get a job, okay? And um, when you're working for a company, you're pretty much, you know, you have to do what the company wants you to do. You're on their time. That's right. Of course, you have to have some uh, uh, downtime as well. And so instead of standing around the proverbial water cooler, perhaps you're looking up news on BBC or something that might be a little less desirable. Uh, but there has to be a limit to that as well. Oh, well, you know that people have gone far, you know, porn use on company time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, um, you have to use a little bit of common sense, but, you know, I think that there's there's sort of a sea change. And in over the last five years, maybe five, six years, the my, you know, the my faith generation sort of, you know, invaded the corporate workforce with, some of the things, like you said, in the co- in the context of communicating in the way that they were used to, <clears throat> and now I think the pendulum is swinging back a little bit because employers had to really crack down and say, "Listen, you know what? You can't be talking to your friends, you know, on our Blackberries and our cell phones that we're supplying to you. And you know, if you're talking to clients, you can't. You sh- really shouldn't be using a modems." Okay, um, it's just not reflecting, you know, the corporations and you know the corporations' image very, very well. So I think what's happening and happening very fast because well, you and I read the news every day um, is that there's going to be a severe crackdown. In, I in think there will, and you know, and I think we're seeing it right now. It's being spearheaded by some of the media. Uh, yesterday or, or the day before, the Wall Street Journal had a piece, uh, as you know. Uh, about uh, people being very informal in the way they communicate in the workplace. And then I noticed in today's L.A. Times, there's a piece about how people are now feeling that they're in email overload. And uh, one fellow is quoted as calling it e-fail because he can no longer do any work because he's bombarded, as many of us are, with hundreds, if not more, emails every day, uh, many of which just have one or two word communications that you wind up spending much more time answering than you would if you had a phone conversation. And, and some emails, are, again, it's a common sense situation. Pull it through a professional veneer, if you will. I mean, you know, if it's corporate information and it's pertinent information, fine. But, you know, is it is it necessary to send around the latest, hottest YouTube video saying, oh, you have to see this? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and you're right. I do. I do agree that there will be some sort of backlash, and the pendulum will swing, if not certainly not completely back, but at least a bit back more toward the center. Well, I think there's something that we can learn from the younger generation too. There's an immediacy. Um, they're fast. Um, you know, everything is instant. Um, you know, the the downside, of course, is you're supposed to think before you speak. <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting that Barack Obama was quoted as saying that he had a conversation uh, with one, a British politician in which he said that uh, people are advising him that he needs, if he becomes president, time just to sit back and think. And I think that time has always been at a premium. I remember a, a good friend of mine who's a television producer said the same thing to me. So I asked him once what he was doing, and he said, I'm sitting, looking out the window, thinking. And uh, that, to me, was rare when he said that, and I think it's become even more difficult to do today, as you say, with the uh, the expectation that we will answer people immediately. Uh, a relative of mine who's a big commercial real estate uh, broker in Los Angeles said to me the other day, 
that just a few years, well, maybe more than a few years ago, perhaps 10 years ago, he would put out a bid to a client and expect an answer four days later because he mailed the bid. Now he expects an answer and, and everyone expects to hear from each other within minutes of uh, sending out a communication. Right, is that right or wrong? What do you think? Well, I think it's, you know, it's got certainly both positive and negative aspects to it. I think in the end it's probably not a good thing, but on the other hand, we're not going to stop it. I think you could perhaps trace it well. There's, you could trace it back to the telephone, but uh, more immediately you could trace it back to the ability to uh, send mail overnight through companies like FedEx, and then, of course, the introduction of email and uh, the ability to carry your email with you in a PDA now uh, wherever you go. And so everybody uh, just expects that everybody will hear from each other in an instant. No, it's true. Well, let me ask you a question. In, in the next segment, after we take a commercial break, I want you to plug your business and talk about all your clients. This is, you know, this is the educational part. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> but, um, you know, are you using how much? You're a writer. You write for the New York Times. That's right. You know, you run a communications company. How much do you use a PDA or a BlackBerry? Well, actually, I don't use one much at all because I am at my desk most of the time. On the other hand, I use email constantly. And uh, when I'm out and about, I do use uh, a PDA, but most of the time I'm here, but I'm answering email all the time. So in that sense, I have a gigantic PDA in front of me. Okay, so, um, you know, you really do prefer, I guess, you know, the, the desktop, proverbial desktop. I do, but if I was on the road more, then, I, of course, I would probably be wanting to access my email. And, you know, I know that. Uh, look, even recently when I went on holiday, it, I have never... Uh, well, I, I have rarely taken a laptop with me, and this time I did, and it's very seductive. One wants to look and see, you know, I, I've written about how people need to feel in touch all the time. It makes you feel important if you can, if you I get think a it's lot like, of I think it's like a crack addiction, to be more blunt. <laughs> well, it is, isn't it? I mean, that's why it's called a crackberry. And no, exactly. I, I, I think that you're right. I, I think... Um, you know, I'm a victim. I, you know, if there if there's an AA, you know, I'm I'm the you know technology addict. I, you know, I'm I get irritable if I can't you know tap into my communications. Um, you know, well, I always and, feel, I, and I could point out to you know somebody who's not that uh, technologically interested, although she's very savvy, and that's my wife, who really never understood why somebody would want to check their email constantly, and she just got. Uh, an iPhone, and uh, enjoys checking her email all the time. She's becoming an addict. Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to come right back, and we have Eric Taub from Jet Media, communications professional and writer for the New York Times. Stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, yachts, parties. Festivals. At Rack and Roll Productions, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, book releases, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio. Rack and Roll Productions gets the job done whether it's an intimate party or a production with 2,000 people. In fact, you've probably seen and heard our work on the E! Channel, MTV, The Howard Stern Show, or in the pages of numerous newspapers and magazines. 
Now it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of Rack and Roll Productions. Visit us online at www.rackandrollentertainment. That's R-A-K-N-R-O-L-L entertainment.com. Or call 1-818-597-0700. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio. Rack and Roll Productions. We do it all. www.rakandrollentertainment.com. Real Talk with Marcy Mason, a refreshing and charming talk radio show for all of you entertainment enthusiasts. Whether you're stargazing on Hollywood Boulevard or in the stands cheering for your favorite team, Real Talk is here to satisfy the curiosity of the dedicated lifestyle and entertainment enthusiasts by giving everyday people the information they crave about what's going on in their communities and the world around them. Don't miss Real Talk with Marcy Mason, broadcasting live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Did you do your homework today? Relationship Homework is a program about working with others in the home and in the workplace. Relationships with others are vital in getting work done. You'll learn guidance and reclaim the power to expand your capacity to take effective action in your relationships at home and at work. Each program will include a weekly homework assignment to take back and implement over the following week. Join host Udall DeOleo for Relationship Homework every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now let's get back to more stars of PR. Here's your host and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. We're back with Eric Taub, and Eric, you have a communications company. It's called Jet Media. Why don't you talk a little bit about what you do? Eric? Kate, the excitement of their business to others, to their potential clients and people who are just interested. Uh, Because while you may really enjoy and understand and love your own business, that doesn't mean that you know how to tell other people why it's so exciting and why they should pay attention to it. And uh, all throughout my career, what I've done is uh, always take perhaps sometimes arcane and difficult to understand subjects and, and simplify them, but not, uh, not to the point of talking down to people, but being able to help explain what people do uh, and make it interesting and entertaining. In an engaging manner. I hope so. I believe I do, yes. <laughs> well, I, you know, a lot of people think what, you know, the problem is is that sometimes a lot of people think that they do seem interesting when they're presenting because they take materials that they're familiar with on a day-to-day basis, and, you know, there always has to be a bridge. <laughs> You're right, and, you know, people are not always aware of that because, as you well know in the work that uh, you do as well, that uh, just because somebody knows how to write a sentence, we all learned how to write a sentence, Hopefully. Cool. I mean, in this day and age, I don't know, but That's yes, you're right. <laughs> but even if you can, that doesn't mean that you can then write a presentation or a brochure or an advertisement or a press release. And that's when you should call Eric at Jet Media. Thank you. I think uh, so. And, uh, some people who, uh, who some of my clients include, include companies like uh, Microsoft and Apple and Silicon Graphics and local companies in the area that I live, and... Uh, actually around the world as well. People found my work uh, over the Internet. And uh, 
Of course, I think one thing that gives me an advantage is writing for newspapers, keeping up uh, with a lot of different business topics uh, in my work for the New York Times and other publications allows me to, to have a leg up and understand a wide range of businesses and be able to take my talents uh, to a new business, even one that I may not be initially familiar with, and get up to speed very quickly on it, do the research I need, and then help translate again that uh, subject matter to uh, potential uh, clients. Well, listen, I mean, you know, you write for a major newspaper, you have to know how to do that. I mean, it's part of what you have been trained to do for so many years, That's to right. take a subject that can be somewhat mundane, but there's, uh, you know, there's relevancy to it, and you have to bridge the context, if you will, to make it interesting for everybody else. So, I mean, you know, you do it well, and people should really tap into that a little more. It could be the difference between succeeding business and not. That's right. And, you know, regardless of who one hires, I think one should understand that if you need to communicate your business, do hire somebody who's, vers- who's well-versed and trained in doing that, just as you wouldn't try to do legal issues yourself. You shouldn't necessarily try to do written communications work yourself either. You know, and I think if we could just get back to the, to the uh, uh, subject we were just talking about, about the coarsening of writing, you know, one thing that, uh, that's also uh, I, I've been taken with is the fact that, you know, many people today, especially younger people when they speak, will preface everything with, I'm like, or he goes. And what was interesting to me is I've noticed that over the last, year or so, you actually start seeing that in the newspapers. When people are quoted, instead of saying, I said to him, people are now saying, I went, how are you? Well, did they, but didn't they always? I mean, in a context, uh, you know, when a, when a, you know, John Q, Q. Public is interviewed, you really don't have perfect sentences from them. And I guess from a business standpoint, you have a point. But often newspapers would clean that up. And, ah. uh, and even recently, I've seen on-air television reporters speak that way. Yeah, no, that's astounding. I, that's, you know, very, that's astounding. You see these young reporters that are doing, you know, sent on assignment. And, you know, I talked to him and he went. And that's like, right. What? That's right. <laughs> you know, and, and again, you know, we can't say, oh, well, we just have to speak the way we did in 1780 because, of course, the language changes. But... You know, it, it changes gradually. You can't impose a change because you decide that you want to speak a certain way and therefore everyone should accept it. It's a very gradual change. It's almost imperceptible. Well, do you think in the next 100 years it's going to be, you know, acceptable to say, you know, he ain't going to the, to the store today? Well, it may be. I don't think any of us know exactly what words will become acceptable. But, of course, if we look out over the last couple of decades, we see words that are in the, in the culture commonly today. That would not have been allowed, uh, you know, even uh, 20 years ago. But again, it's not the decision of any one person. It just becomes gradually uh, integrated into uh, common usage, and then it becomes acceptable. Yeah, I would just think that basic grammar would always have, I would like to think, in my puritanical views, that, um, you know, that the laws of basic English grammar would always stay intact when professionally used. Well, I hope that they are. And, of course, you know, if you take a look at the writing in the 18th century, people spelled words many different ways, and there was not necessarily a standard. And uh, I think, you know, as in all things, we need certain standards so that that is the goal that we all attain, uh, try to attain. Uh, if there are no standards, then it's a free-for-all. Well, I'm hoping that, you know, educators 
you know, college professors are, you know, I, I hope that people don't get away with, you know, writing a paper, you know, as a part of their college curriculum. Um, I hope that professors are still not allowing them to get away with improper use of grammar. I agree with you. I hope not. Uh, and I know that when I, in, in, a, in a previous incarnation, I used to be a television production executive, and uh, I remember when I had to hire people, those who sent me resumes with even one misspelled word, I would not even consider. because Not because they necessarily didn't know how to spell a word, but the point is, if you don't even take the time to learn how to communicate properly to somebody who potentially is going to pay you a salary, then that means that you may not be paying that much attention to the work itself. Well, right on, brother. I mean, if you don't, if you don't write clearly, how could you think clearly? And if you don't True. think clearly, how could you write clearly? I, it's, uh, it, it's really a monitor for how you express yourself. I agree. And, uh, you know, so I really, really do hope that it doesn't become acceptable in the context of the English language to, you know, really, you know, bastardize the use of grammar. <laughs> I, I hope I hope uh, that you're right. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about some of the articles you've written for the New York Times. Sure. You wrote a very interesting article this week that I think you've been working on for some time because you brought it up about a month ago. Well, I actually, I had it, it, just so that your listeners understand. Sometimes one writes an article and then it gets set aside, not because of uh, necessarily I haven't finished it, but because of production schedule issues. So I had uh, this. I, you're talking about the article I wrote about the future of lighting, I believe. LED. LED, right? Light emitting diodes, and it was actually something I started two months ago, completed a number of weeks ago, and then it just had to find a proper slot. Um, it was a very interesting article because I think people have used, have you know, known what heard LED, but they didn't really know what it was. Exactly, and uh, LEDs are commonly seen in the uh, rear stop lights uh, of brake lights of cars and in and traffic lights, but now they're becoming, they're on the cusp of becoming used as replacements for standard incandescent light bulbs because they've figured out a way to make them extremely bright uh, to last literally 20 years uh, to use about one-fifth the amount of energy that a standard light bulb uses. So it's very green. It's very environmentally involved. Very green. There's no, there are no hazardous materials, especially if you're never throwing them away, they they have great applications. You can put them in places if you have a high ceiling in your house. So you can put them up there and not have to worry about buying a 25-foot ladder to change them. Uh, they they can be made into literally millions of colors. So that means on a television set that now uses uh, lights with filters and gels to change the mood, they no longer have to use gels and filters. They don't have to hire the people to change those filters. They could just use a computer or even, speaking of PDAs, you can use a cell phone to program these lights to change the colors yourself. And now, that's pretty fascinating. Well, it, it really, uh, Philips, for example, the, the gigantic Dutch electronics company, believes that that is the future. They're coming out with their first replacement for an incandescent bulb in the fall. Of course, it's going to cost over $100, but that doesn't mean anything because I remember buying a VCR for $1,000. And today, if you could find one, they're about thirty-five dollars, well, and that's what's going to happen to this technology as well. Everybody can become their own lighting producer. Well, you can actually, and actually, Philips now sells a product in Europe, and will sell one here in two months that lets you change the mood lighting in your house with a small uh, LED projector. 
fascinating. Yeah. Listen, Eric, I told you that the show goes very fast, and it we does. have to wrap up. We're done, but I want to thank you You're for very welcome. Thank sharing you for your wisdom, and I hope My you pleasure. come on the show again. I would be happy to. All right. Thank you so much, and everybody have a great day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.